You are now checked in to Stand Up New York Labs. Oh, yeah. I'm on charge after a festival tour. R.I.R. badges with their protest wall. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Stand Up New York Labs. We are uh, at the Stand Up New York Comedy Club. We are doing a video podcast. Our guest today is Charles C. Johnson, a very controversial newsman who runs the site gotnews.com. Um, what's your Twitter? At Chuck C. Johnson. Chuck C. There's a lot of Charles Johnsons out there, so it gets confusing. But Indeed. He's at Chuck C. He appreciates when you use the C to help differentiate him from the others. And when people insult him, they often just call him, call him Charles Johnson and it's lost. It is. It's too bad. I also like uh, that the Charles, the at Charles C. Johnson is a marketing executive in Michigan who has like 35 followers. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of tricky. But I became at Chuck and Chuck is kind of my Boston name. It's when I was, grew up there and Charles kind of became my professional name. And so now I'm kind of... Yeah, both. Do you want to just make the whole show about your name? Nope. Nope, okay. I don't. I don't. But I feel c- like we barely scratched the surface. Could be, could be fun. I'm sure there's deep-seated psychological problems there. <laughs> uh, I want to talk first about Garland because the show is called Free Speech, and this is finally I'm seeing that those two words on the news. Uh, and last night I was just thinking, the New York Times, obviously it's taking the position that this is outrageous and it's hate speech, and hate speech is not free speech. Um, and one of the things that, that that entire group is saying is that there's a difference between free speech and speech that is an incitement to violence. And I'm just remembering the streets of New York a couple weeks ago, people marching down the streets screaming, what do we want? Dead cops! When do we want it? Now! And hours later, like 24 hours later, uh, two cops get shot in the head. Yeah. Not white. They got the wrong race. But uh, if that isn't an incitement to violence, what is? And by the way, I'm not saying that they should not be allowed to make that chant. But I just don't understand where the outrage was. Yeah, you know, when you go way back, uh, Thomas Jefferson was talking about the distinctions between thoughts and actions and speech and actions, that speech is closer to thoughts. I don't know. It's The way I would look at it is... I mean, I know Pamela Geller. I think you do too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Robert Spencer. I actually went to meet Robert Spencer for my 16th birthday, believe it or not. Really? That's how far back I go. And the, the one of the editors from Yolan Postons were the first ones who did the Muhammad cartoons was there. It was in the Boston area. Went with my then girlfriend, uh, now psychotic ex. Um, and we went and we uh, just kind of like had to go through all this security, had to go through all this like crazy pat downs and everything. I was like, to visit Spencer, to visit Spencer. And I was like, damn, like this guy's cool. You know, <laughs> it's like, I wish I had something cool enough to say that people wanted to kill me, um, <laughs> which was not the lesson that my mother wanted to draw, wanted me to draw from that. But, um, right. Yeah. You thought it was awesome. But I mean, it's like, she's kind of trolling for justice, you know, Pamela Geller. And I think, I mean, I, I think that we have way too many Muslims in this country I've said as much. Three I million. Um, I think it's a really bad idea to bring people into your country that do cousin marriage. Well, immigration and- has changed. Immigration used to be welcome to America, become American, and now it's welcome to America. Feel f- like hate us all you want. Yeah, fly your freak flag, cut our throats if you feel if you we feel suck. so compelled. So I'm not surprised though. I mean, the New York Times has always played this game of being for free speech until they're not. Um, yeah. What I'm surprised though is like the ACLU. I mean, they used to defend the rights of like neo Nazis to go down and you know party it up in Skokie, Illinois, 
Um, and now they're like, oh, we're not so sure about this whole free speech thing. And of course, the Muslims see that and they get more and more emboldened. And But I think we're kind of missing the point. Like, how do we stop ISIS from coming here? We stop the Muslims from you know, mass immigrating here. I mean, we've, we've settled 50,000 Yemeni Americans since Obama was elected, or Yemeni in the United States since Obama was elected. Most famous Yemeni American is Anwar al-Awlaki, who was the head of al-Qaeda. You know, like, what are they doing here? They're like, I mean, when was the last time you heard of a Nobel Prize winner who was a Yemeni? Well, there's, like, an ob- there's a, 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 a lot of disdain, especially with the poorer Muslims. They're, they seem to be more extreme. The, the middle class and up tend to drink tea and uh, <laughs> listen to classical music, but... You have these cab drivers refusing to take passengers. I mean, in Minneapolis, over the course of four years, there was about 6,000 passengers that were refused for having a dog or for having liquor in their luggage. They were getting asked, do you have liquor in your luggage? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like the, it's like the uh, if only we could get people pissed about that, with the, like the, we were, they're pissed about the Christian baker who's like, oh, sorry, guys, so, sorry, fellas, or sorry, ladies, I can't do your... But people, people don't care. Well, what they do is they morph it. So the, they change it, the narrative, obviously. So with the bakers were poor gays coming in hungry, saying, can I have some gruel, sir? And the evil homophobic bakers say, no, I hate gays. I'm not serving. We don't serve faggots in here. And the government going, that's not our country. Uh, by the way, that should be legal. You just won't. You'll go bankrupt if you were that shitty. Um, yeah, but won't that take care of the problem? Right, exactly. I mean, That's what I'm saying. I don't want the laws e- even getting involved in that extreme scenario. But that's not what happened. And with this Pamela Geller thing, it's like the, the, the way they've done it. And by the way, one of the reasons that this story can go so far off track is because the cartoons have been blacked out. If you could see these cartoons, they're really good. Like the one that won could be on the cover of a Superman comic. It's so good. Yeah, uh, Faustin, right? Who does all the comics there? Uh, we should give him a shout out. Um, I, I mean, I retweeted. I sent it around. I want a T-shirt of it. I mean, fuck, I'd pay like fifty bucks for it. It's awesome. <laughs> that would um, be ballsy. Yeah, I went. So I was in Garland, Texas, actually, right after the shooting. I was actually in Texas at the time, and went over there, took some photos. They had this whole like caution tape set up, so there's like a wide thing. Uh-huh. But I found kind of a way in to take closer photos. So I just went went behind the dumpster and so uh, it was kind of interesting seeing all the exploded parts and the fbi was there and exploded parts yeah so they blew up the car oh right of course um, yeah. and there i think there was another car too that was there um and they hadn't yet blown that up and so i took some photos with my iphone and you know meanwhile the the cnn and fox crew is like way down a ways not, not getting any close-ups of the of the carnage and it's kind of like it's kind of a crappy situation because I mean, people should see this. Like, people should see like how non-offensive this whole process is, um, and how non-offensive the cartoons were. And by the way, they should also see how dumb the Muslims were, because frankly, like, did you see where they parked their car versus like where the actual run-up to the event is? Oh, so really? They were going like Allahu Akbar as they were like running across the lot. That was like in Canada. Um, the guy at the Parliament buildings. He had to run. Yeah, it's like, dude, like five hundred yards. Do, do your strategic planning a little differently. <laughs> I mean, things are. There's a reason they they call the expression a Texas mile. You know. Well, I heard Anjem Chowdhury on uh, Hannity this morning. Uh, it was from last night, and uh, he said, "If you had seen these cartoons, how offensive they are." And we all just picture, you know, Jesus with a fist up his ass, puking or something. You know, the Muhammad version. Uh, but the cartoons aren't like that. They're very thoughtful pieces of art. And uh, uh, when we had the initial thing with the Dutch Dutch cartoons, 
Danish. No, Danish, Danish sorry. Right. They had added offensive ones in there where they turned Muhammad into a pig. And uh, what's wrong and that with wasn't, that? that? But that wasn't even part of the thing. So, yeah, so they did it's, that. They it's did sort of like Palestinians. Time. I mean, there's this fake outrage where the Palestinians have to be outraged. And the Saudis, Qatar, UAE could, could buy them all Ferraris, but they have to stay at the border screaming because that's their brand. And that's why Iran keeps sabotaging this deal with the uh, nuclear uh, yeah, people, energy. People be- don't think about it like that, but you're right. I mean, there's a certain like being perpetually pissed, which is like yes. the deal, like if you're a Muslim. Yeah, if we don't do any cartoons, they're out of work. That's right. But anyway, th- sorry, I'm off at a tangent here. Uh, the the And to get to Iran, the, the, they had that last minute deal where they said you have to, within 24 hours, remove all sanctions. Total impossibility. The government doesn't work like that. They were purposely torpedoing their nuclear energy deal because they can't make a deal with the great Satan or everyone would hate them in the, in the Muslim world. And similarly, these, these extremists have to be freaking out about cartoons and the cartoons have to be outrageous and they have to use the word provocative or they're not oppressed. Yeah, but I mean, here's the problem. We should, we should be provoking them. Like this is, I mean, this is our country. We live here. We like naughty jokes. We like violating taboos. We have enough taboos in this country as it is. We don't need to import people who give us new hangups. <laughs> you know, like, it's just a stupid, it's a stupid policy. Well, I don't even. I resent the whole, uh, imp- the whole implication that that provocative is one thing and non-provocative is another thing. Those words shouldn't be in a private meeting in a hall in Garland, Texas, with some foam core and seventy-five people getting together. I mean, no, they should be out in the public square. People should see it for themselves. We should put it right in front of the New York Times building, you know, pictures of this, uh, pictures of these cartoons and let people see for themselves. Yeah. And people should stop being such pussies. I mean, this is the number one thing that you learn throughout all of, all of history is that if you, if you behave like a pussy, you get more and more violence against you. Right. And we, I mean, you know, my wife comes from Indonesia. She's a Catholic growing up in Indonesia. She had to wear... Uh, a religious identity card uh, or carry a religious identity card where the cops would stop her and beat her up and take her money because she was Catholic and not wearing the hijab. And that's like the moderate Muslim country. So like, let's cut the bullshit. Let's call this as it is. And let's, you know, let's think very seriously about, uh, you know, who do we admit into the country? How do we admit them in here? And I realized that one of the guys was a radicalized dude who was in the, you know, who was basically from a wealthy family in, in Phoenix. But we should be monitoring these people on Twitter. We should be engaging them. We should be reporting them to the government if necessary. And we should really be doing some hardcore surveillance. And what I find so objectionable is it seems like our our uh, Justice Department is obsessed with following veterans and following all these like far-right extremist groups. And most of the far-right extremist groups that, that I know are people who are, as, you know, who are the hate groups like Pamela Geller and Robert Spencer you know, Robert Spencer's a portly, you know, short little guy. He's like he's, he's a researcher. Yeah, he's a researcher. He's a nerd. And if they're coming for the nerds, you know, as a nerd myself, I'm kind of a little. <laughs> you start to get scared. Start to get a little scary. Well, one problem with with uh, you know pinning it all on immigration is, I looked up something like all attacks, including mm-hmm. 9/11. I was going to say the ten big attacks since 9/11, but actually in, you can include 9/11 in this, and it's all. Westerners radicalized Westernly. Well, some of them have been have failed, right? Like the the Times Square bomber. Um, right. I'm talking about since yeah. 9/11 and 9/11. One of the main architects 
was this guy who uh, it's impossible to remember their fucking names, but he was just Joe. <laughs> Call him Joe, <laughs> the Hedgehog. I like when they come up with funny names, and I honestly think that's a good tactic. By the way, is it, funny nicknames. Oh, absolutely. But, if you were a jihadi, you'd be uh, you'd hate that. You know, but he. He uh, was freed with the Air India hostage taking. Sure. And uh, he was in jail because he had kidnapped a bunch of Americans in, uh, I forget where, India or Pakistan. Um, so he was in jail. He got freed after they, they took uh, the Air India flight hostage, the entire plane. He came out, started working with bin Laden, and helped architect. He was a primary architect of oh, yeah, the Ka- whole thing. Ka- Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. That was the guy. KSM, right? Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe, yeah. You're talking about the Bob. fat guy in the undershirt with the frizzy hair? Oh, no. oh yeah, actually, I think I am. No, I that, this, I'm talking about a different guy. But anyway, you go to the London bombing, you go to the Boston Marathon bombing, and when you look up these guys, they've got fucking British accents, and they went to school in Wales. Or but they... most of them are ethnically the religion, right? So, so like the dudes who were in, from Dagestan, the Sarnayev brothers, they were like going and reading Howard Zinn, but they were... Chechen, Dagestani, you know, Muslim right. types. Right, but that's not, it didn't used to be like that. It used to be your your parents coming with their dogmatic old ways and you laugh and go, you're not going to believe this, but we have to go in the back door because my mom's Turkish and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they went punk, right? They went yeah. the other direction. They went American. And, and now now the kids are more radical than the parents. Yeah, there's, it's kind of, it's scary stuff. And they're all, they're like that University of Alabama chick who was like, uh, who went left University of Alabama? Who's a Yemeni, and went is now fighting with ISIS and tweeting and putting pictures of herself with jihad. By the way, the thing that's really funny to me is they all put up like pictures of the black flag of Al Qaeda or like some ISIS stuff on their social media profiles. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like if ever there were a time where you would just round these people up, like that would be like the simplest. Well, it's way like to do having it. a Nazi flag on your web page if they had them back in 1942. Now, I'm not saying it should be illegal. I'm all for free speech again, but we have to put everything in context. We're at war with Islam. A lot of people deny that even, uh, and you are parading around in the enemy's garb. Like you're driving our taxis, you're in our administration. Can you imagine Germans driving around your taxis in 1942? And Germans in the... We rounded up a whole bunch of Germans who just happened to be engineers, happened to be in the US at the time, or members of the American Nazi party, or 100,000 of them, I think they were rounded up. And some of them were just like, yeah, I think that Hitler guy's okay. Like they didn't know about the Holocaust or anything. Right. And they they were all kind of sent to refugee camps or to basically... Uh, detainment camps. We did the same um, with the Japanese. We split their families. We stole their land, took their land. Yeah. It, doesn't Mich- Michelle Malkin say all that was a good move? Yeah, there's some there's some truth to that. That's I mean, her s- first book, isn't some, it? Uh, one of them, yeah. The, uh, they were um, in, in Hawaii. There was this thing called the Nisei incident where this Japanese, uh, these two Japanese people helped a downed, Japanese Americans helped a downed Japanese pilot um, who... Uh, Got into a fight, and this big Samoan dude killed them, and like a like physically killed one of them. It was like a, he was like lauded as a hero, but there was there were acts of subversion back on the Japanese side, um, and there were people who were d- detained. And I'm not saying that we should do that now. I think obviously it's it's a bit different world, but I do think we should at least like ask a few questions of the dude who's got like the Al Qaeda well, tattoo always, or whatever. That's you know? always my goal with these kind of things is just to get it. Like no one's just justifying. Well, some are justifying 
pulling you know Muslims out of school and taking their land like we did with the Germans and the Japanese. Do they even have any land? Like what are they? (laughs) Yeah, they have Dearborn, Michigan. (laughs) Oh, I guess. But uh, I would just like the conversation to get into a more reasonable zone. It's like with abortion. I just want to get people out of third trimester abortions and down to two months. Or we had Lenore Skenazy here. I we are allies because we're both free range parents, but I want kids to have the same youth I had where we shot each other with BB guns yeah, and fun. you had to go I mean, to the I, hospital. I did, I did it anyway. So I mean, I was a radical, you know, was, she's, but she doesn't agree with me on that, but we're, cause she's a mom. We're I mean, allies on. and we have totally different views. That's how far off we've gone. So I'm not saying we need internment camps, but let's at least stop encouraging it. We all but encourage radical Islam in the West. Well, you also, it's cool. you've got to think about, like the kids, the Sarnaya brothers went to Cambridge Ridge in Latin, which was one of the first schools to require require Howard Zinn's people of the people's history of the United States, right? Which basically teaches people like America sucks, right? And so you come to the U.S. and you're taught you're told all this stuff about hey, it's a land of milk and honey. There's gold everywhere. And then you get here and you go to the schools and the people people are telling you, no, actually, this country sucks. Like we're oppressive, we're racist, we're all this stuff. And so you you're, you naturally look for some kind of guide to how to live your life because you're caught and you see the confidence, the the kind of badassness of the terrorists. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I'm with these guys. They're they're strong. They're you know they're not pussies. Yeah, you remind me of a funny picture I saw uh, it, when I was in Madison in like the local paper, and it was during the fight with Russia. In Ukraine, and it was uh, it was French soldiers on the Russian side, and you go, wait a minute, they're they're not our ally, and I realized, no, it's just cool to fight for the enemy. They had like c- cool bandanas on and stuff, and fingerless gloves, and it's we've gone from rebellion uh, being cool, like having spiky hair, to it's cool to die fighting your own country. Well, and people are drawn to strength. This is what people don't really get about human psychology. People are followers. I mean, they're strong members of groups. People go and want to be attracted to it. They're, they're attracted to strength. And when you grow up in a culture that's not really confident of itself, that mocks itself endlessly, it's, it's under, I think it's understandable that people are drawn to terrorism. Yeah, um, well, you look at our soldiers having to walk a mile in red high heel shoes in their military gear to sh- just to represent sexism. Yeah. And you think, that's not a cool club to join anymore. No, and they used to be able to beat you up and break you down and do all kinds of nasty things, read out your letters and that you got from girlfriends. The drill sergeant would read it out and make fun of you. There was a kind of level of building, of taking people apart and building them up that was a big part of the military. And Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Islam, whatever you want to call it, it offers people at a time when they're trying to discover their, how they fit in the universe. They're in this culture where they're constantly told by all the social justice warriors that America's racist, that they can never really be a part of America. And they're sold this bullshit by the media, by their friends, by, by the their teachers. and teachers, yeah. Uh, by, and um, in reality, most of us don't really care because most of us kind of like, oh, okay, there's this brown chick in my class. She's kind of hot or whatever. She's fat. She's like most of us don't really care, but they're going through this like deep psychological thing. And it's it's understandable that they're looking for some kind of belonging. And meanwhile, they see their parents are usually immigrants who are probably pretty smart, but they probably don't have the quality of life that all the white people that they see on TV do. I mean, imagine just watching America just from our commercials. 
right? You, you probably like hate America too. I mean, there's a lot of like bullshit that you see there. Well, the funny thing about America and our commercials is wealthy middle-class white people are always used uh, for everything. So if they're doing a thing about gun control and they'll have a kid crawling upstairs playing hide-and-seek, playing with a handgun and blowing his head off. And <laughs> sure. you, you look at the house and you go, oh, so what's your dad, like the top broker at Goldman Sachs? <laughs> Those people don't have handguns lying around. Sure. 90% of accidental handgun shootings are some single mom. She's dating a gangster. He doesn't realize that he left his piece, his Glock lying around. And one of her six as kids... Happens, as happens. <laughs> <laughs> blows his head off. But they don't want to show that because it looks racist. So they end up just putting out false information. Like the New York Times had a thing about gun violence and they've got this, they found one white middle-class dad showing his son how to shoot a twenty-two, and that just like son happened to die. Which is like a cap gun. I mean, I don't even know how you kill yourself with a twenty-two. <laughs> I don't know if it was a twenty-two that eventually Shoot yourself in the, the nose boy. or something. I mean, I hate to be laughing at the, over it's the terrible. body of a dead boy right now, but the, the real, you know, those real cases are single mom cases, they're black cases, they're ghetto cases. But they don't want to do that, so they show you these rich, wit, these, they're like the, literally like the top 1%. Because they're trying to sell fear. I mean, it's, it's really what it's about. Well, it also might be, I argued with Tom Shalhoub about this. He goes, you don't want to see that on your TV. Like when they're doing an insurance commercial, they'll show a family together, and they'll, and they'll show a massive home, and it'll be about you know child deaths. That was the Super Bowl ad. Right. And he goes... Which was but, hilarious, but by the way. He goes... <laughs> the jokes off of that were, I mean, they were fantastic. Dead baby jokes are always funny. I'm yeah, sorry. I don't know. I'm a little sensitive about them. But he uh, he goes, you don't want to see, you know, real homes where real accidents happen when you're watching the Super Bowl. It's depressing. I guess. I mean, there's something about how the media sells us on these kind of men mental images, these kind of imagined communities that they all imagine that we that we live in. And most people, I think, just think it's bullshit. Like, I can't even remember the last time I really sat down and watched an event that had commercials other than the Super Bowl, which I was drunk through most of. Mm -hmm. I mean, th th this kind of, like, thing isn't quite working now. But I think the real propaganda that's starting is, like, the horizontal shaming of, like, the social justice warrior saying, you can't get ahead. And, and the president says this, too. He says, you know, you can't get ahead if you're this group or that group. And it's, we see that stuff, and we're like, this is you start to kind of internalize it, especially when you're growing up. And I bet every one of these uh, kids who are Muslim, of Muslim ancestry or whatever, they, they experience some microaggression, which really means somebody was mean to me once, um, or they uh, have a stare and they assume that it's racist when really it's just like, hmm, this person doesn't look like all the other people in Alabama or rural Michigan. And they therefore start to internalize the otherness of themselves. And a certain percentage of those people you know, go into uh, some more extreme politics. And if you go and join the mosque, which for many people is a source of identity and a source of a refuge from kind of the modern world, these, they have a lot of answers to people, to young people trying to find themselves. All the answers are shit, but um, a lot of people are attracted to shitty ideas. Well, there's, there might be something innate about, and I'm... I'm not sure if it's Westerners or white people, but I think there is a genetic self-hatred in there. And maybe that's why Christianity did so well with white people in particular, because there's this, this need to self-flagellate. There's this need to, I know I'm so sorry, and oh, I ruined everything. What have I done? Uh. 
I know I sound like an old yeah. Jewish man. I mean, <laughs> to, to a certain extent, you've got the genetic side of it where... Because, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. you're, we're blaming the media, the media here. And the media is really driven by oh, supply and demand. So sure. I think there is an, an, a real demand from the customers to say, make me look terrible. Blame the world on me. Maybe, but I mean, how, how representative is, is New York, the New York Madison Avenue you know, group that's making these things from the actual real population of the country? Not very. So they do sell a lot of shit that's nonsense. And advertising, as you know, is probably the most non-accountable dollar out there as far as actual real-world efficacy of the message that you're propagating. But the whole week ruined the Indians, killed them all, sure, stole their land, then brought in slaves. Slaves built America, and we're all living off that hard work that they made. They built all our buildings and made everything great. Unless you're Ben Affleck. Uh, <laughs> and you can't acknowledge it. You can't pay your reparations. That narrative, and we, we cheated, basically— uh, that narrative is uh, the only people that don't have it are Republican males. Well, really seems. anyone who reads the history of the U.S. I mean, the trick is to make people stupid. And to make them stupid, you have to sell a certain idea of the world. And when you go to school, as, I mean, I went to this really rich, you know, Tony prep school where I was a scholarship winner there. And they were selling us this all this nonsense about Howard Zinn and how the U.S. sucks and all this stuff. And I was looking around me, and I was like, you're an error. Like, you're like fourth generation money. You're this. Like, America's been pretty good to you. Like, maybe we should maybe we should learn something here. And it's always like Niall Ferguson says this, that he, he agrees with the Marxist view on history. He just wants to be on the side of the capitalists. Um, <laughs> I mean, to, 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 a certain, to a certain extent, that was kind of the way to be punk rock for a lot of young people was to be questioning this nonsense. I mean, you look around yourself. We're in the most one of the most powerful cities in the world, and it was built by a whole lot of dead white men. A whole lot of dead. Yeah. And well, it's even pretty cool. like the way we were taught wounded knee is there were these Indian prisoners being escorted uh, to wherever you go when you're an Indian prisoner. And these the uh, casino higher, <laughs> these higher ups came and shot them all in the back. Sure. And it was a brutal massacre, which it was. Then I'm, I'm reading Glenn Beck's Miracles and Massacres, and he's talking about it. And he goes, I didn't set out to do this with the book, but I'm discovering now that I'm done that every time there was a success, it was when the people trusted in themselves. And every time there was a catastrophe, it was when the people put their faith in the authority above them. So what happened at Wounded Knee was they were taking the, these guys back. They let them carry their own guns just because it was easier and they had a good relationship. And it was just, we got to get you guys from A to B. I'm doing my job. You're doing your job. And so the, the, whatever they were, prisoners, had their own guns. Uh, that was fine. Everything was going rule, great. Rule number one. <laughs> no. Don't, when you're affecting an arrest, make sure the dude doesn't have the gun. But that was the point. The, the bad guys and the good guys had sort of blended together and now it was all just bureaucracy. But then when the generals showed up, they go, what the fuck are you doing? Giving them their own guns. And then they go to take the guns away. And the Indians go, you're not taking my fucking gun. This thing is really valuable. This <laughs> is like taking away my Maserati. Like this is the most valuable thing I own. I don't have a home. I have a teepee. So they started shooting back. Then the military got involved, killed them all. Uh, and it was white men who were furious about this, documented it, uh, and it's that they are the reason we know this happened because their outrage put it to paper, documented it, said how unjust it was. And, and it's Indians and white men to this day that are trying to remove the medals. You know, fucking Obama's talking about the Washington Redskins name. Why don't you remove th those guys were awarded medals for massacring those people? So, anyway, I'm sorry to go off so long here, but sure. what I'm saying is Wounded Knee is fed to us as this disgusting massacre. 
when the reason we know about it is because white people saw it as a disgusting massacre. And it took me till 40 to realize that I was getting this strange anti-American, anti-Western view of history fed to me. What I always started doing is I, I used to read all the books that the teachers would make fun of. So <laughs> I was just like, uh, I mean, my parents would pick me up at like 10 or 11. And so I'd finish my homework around like five or six. And I would just chill out in the library and read all the banned books and the banned books. Uh, like what? So like, oh, I read Mein Kampf when I was 17 because I just want to know what Hitler was up to. I mean, here's the book. You know, you might as well see. Turns out it's, it's most of it's batshit crazy. But he was a good writer, I thought. And there's some stylistic things to learn. Uh, I read um, – I got to introduce to like a lot of like the Tom Soul, Jared oh, right. Taylor. Got introduced to a lot of the white nationalist stuff. Got, so your professors would mock Thomas Sowell? Oh, yeah, all the time. What is he, an Uncle um, Tom to them? Well, they would say he's he's one of these uh, black guys who, you know, is, you have to be really cons careful of reactionary conservatives. I had a teacher in high school, actually, Carly Wade, who was one of these white chicks that sh that, that hung out with the uh, the Black Panthers, and she was really proud of it, so she had Black Panthers things. And meanwhile, we're at this, like, high-end, you know, $38,000 a year prep school. Right. It's like, uh, <laughs> uh, kind of strange. And I, I read Charles Murray's Bell Curve, I want to say, when I was like 16. And that blew my mind. That was like the That's first- That's a mind blower. That That's was the first time. Yeah, so that, that blew my mind. And then I started reading a lot of like science books about genetics. But, um, and here's the thing with all these taboos. Every time that they're exposed by the left, they never find a sentence wrong with them. They just go, "That's that thing." You know, obviously, Mein Kampf is easily refutable. But with these other books, and and Tom Sal, for example, tell me what sentence in the book is wrong. And well, like with Ann Coulter, people go, is, they always say, "Does she just saying that to offend people, or does she really believe that shit?" And I always say, "What shit? Tell me a sentence." Well, it's the unpersoning. I mean, this is what this is like rule rule twelve for Alinsky. This is what the commies did in the Soviet Union is they always take these people and they make them other. They make them into non-entities, non-persons. So you'll see like when I when I tweet out stuff, people will say, oh, Chuck Johnson shit on the floor in college, which didn't happen. I kind of wish it did because if you're going to get through the time, you might as well do the crime. Um, but uh, it becomes one of these ways that Gawker perpetuates it. A lot of these folks perpetuate it. And it's this way to make you uncool. It's the way to right. to make you so that your ideas aren't attractive because they understand so much of what, how people encounter ideas is through horizontal horizontal shaming. I mean, you probably- what, You said that earlier. What's yeah. horizontal shaming? Horizontal shaming is like, Obama doesn't tell me like, yo, you shouldn't be a racist or you shouldn't believe certain things about the nature of the universe. Um, my uncle Steve will, or right? right? Or- your friends will tell you certain things and they'll make certain ideas permissible or not permissible um, uh, unless they're good friends and they just tolerate, you know, the truth. Um, but in every... So horizontal shaming is when your peers bully you or peer pressure you into having a belief. Yeah, and that's how that's how real tyranny works. I don't think... It's like, hey, dude, you shouldn't say this because I might lose my job or, hey, you know, I can't talk about this issue here. Um, that's how it really works. That's how the society you know, enforces certain cultural norms. But what I like to do in my work, like naming Jackie Coakley, the UVA, you know, rape hoax chick, is I like to go and uh, do what Andy Warhol said, which is, you know, you go to um, you go to the edge and declare at the center. And I like to basically do because then you free up the whole conversation and people don't know where to fall <laughs> in the spectrum. They're like, oh shit, like who's strong here? Who am I going to get behind? And then they start to think about stuff. Um, but most of the time, 
what the what the left does, and the right does it to a certain extent too. Like if you have certain kind of controversial or provocative ideas, and you're a young person, and you're like, and you want to express these ideas to the wide, larger larger public, uh, they try and put you in your in your box. Uh, they say, oh, this guy's crazy. What I learned a long time ago is there's this essay I, I read called uh, "What You Can't Say." By this guy Paul Graham, he's like a venture capitalist, mm-hmm. and he's like, so he goes back and he says, "Well, in every society, there's fashion, right? You know, we're wearing suits; it's kind of the deal. We could be wearing loincloths, yeah, you know, probably be kind of strange." And he said, "There are moral fashions too. We just call them they are their taboos, they're the things you can't say. Exactly. Yeah. And when you notice them, the way to notice them is whenever you're making an argument, and somebody says that's racist or that's ist, some ist statement." They're, they're really just expressing the taboo of the time. That's communist, that's papist, whatever. Mm-hmm. And what they should really be saying is that's false, that's bullshit. Um, but more often than not, the left doesn't do that. They just say, oh, that's this idea, that's white supremacy, that's uh, that's racist, that's sexist, that's... And um, what the right always does is it always gets into these <laughs> these arguments about, you know, I'm not a racist, I believe... But... It's kind of like, when did you stop beating your mother? I mean, more often than not, you should just say, all right, whatever. Like, what is racism? You're just, you know, you're just using this word just to marginalize me. Well, Jim Goat has a great solution to that accusation. He, he goes, anytime people say that, say, what does that word mean? And the, the conversation stops because they don't know. Uh, but you're reminding me of what Pat Buchanan talks about in Death of the West, where he, he cites the Frankfurt School as responsible for political correctness. And he said their their credo was... If, if, if an opponent becomes too annoying, just repeat calling him a racist. Say it again and again, and eventually the accusation becomes true in the public mind. Well, that's what the guys did at Journalist. I mean, we got all of their emails. So kind of a group of left-wing journalists who all kind of conspired together in D.C., New York to define certain people. So that's why when you see an article, you'll see like an article on a controversial figure, then you'll see like four or five of them because they all do tag team it. And one of the guys, I want to say it was like Spencer Ackerman, who's now Wired, uh, he said, we should just pick somebody on the right, call them racist. And he actually said this like in the emails. It's wow. Like, it was like, okay. And that's exactly what you're talking about, the Frankfurt School. But the real, see, every every regime, every government has these fictions behind them. Ours is that everyone's equal um, or everyone should be equal as if in the real world, we don't want everyone to be equal. We don't all want to be fat. We we like variety in our choice of mates. We want choice. sports to have a meritocracy or they're not fun to watch. Right. I mean, you want life to be I mean, novels. I mean, you want somebody to yearn for something. If everyone were equal, there'd be no yearning. Um, so really the kind of oppressive desire to push everyone down to basically suck is really just a means of control. And when you kind of understand that, you're you're freer. And you're happier, and that's why violating taboos is so much fun. I mean, it, they did they've done brain studies on people who 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 violate taboos, and they found that they they enjoy enormous pleasure from violating them, or even thinking about violating them. Yeah, I think. Well, you're Irish, right? You've got no. I'm not. Hair. I'm not. I'm not Irish. I'm uh, Swedish and Swiss German and English. Well, some Irish must have fucked someone down the line. <laughs> well, that's where the red hair actually originates in Sweden, because the Vikings, you know, they went and owned half of Ireland uh, at one point. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I read recently that, uh, actually, I'll, I'll be honest, I heard um, the guy, who's the guy who has the intervention, uh, the celeb- Dr. Drew, he was saying, that, that's where I get my medical information from, <laughs> he was saying that Scott's... Better, better Dr. Drew than Dr. Dre. 
<laughs> He's second on my list. Then Dr. Oz. Or, or, Dr. Pe- or Dr. Pepper. <laughs> so me- renowned medical expert Dr. Drew said um, that Scots have genetically developed a tendency to enjoy danger and conflict and being uncomfortable because the ones who hated that died and the reason they were always surrounded by that was England was attacking them for hundreds and hundreds of years. So being at war for hundreds of years, you end up genetically evolving to like war, to like conflict, to want trouble. And he said that's why so many of them are, al- are alcoholics. Alcohol is big in Scotland because it makes you vulnerable and it, makes you, it, it enables hmm. dangerous situations. And it's sort of like you're handicapping yourself. Because you like being handicapped, you like being fucked up, you like getting fucked up. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I always think about it. We we know, you know, my wife is in science; she's a pharmacist. We know different drugs work differently for different populations. We know that dogs behave differently depending on the breed. Why should we think that human beings are at all different? I mean, we know, for instance, from our the genetic sequencing that all non non Africans. Um, have a percentage of Neanderthal in them because our our Homo sapien ancestors went and fucked and raped and pillaged the Neanderthals because they were slower and they did, there weren't as many of them. Well, we isn't that what red them. hair is? It's a Neanderthal gene. Um, I don't think it's Neanderthal, actually. I think it's from... Uh, You're a Neanderthal. Well, you are too, actually, as a white dude. Um, <laughs> I also like Neanderthals... Hi, are, welcome back. We have a yeah. Neanderthal here. Charles C. Johnson, the evidence is on his head. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't... But if you think about it, like, we humans... Like, if you look at something like gingerism, right? Mm-hmm. Like, w- one of the biggest reasons people discriminate against gingers or make fun of them is because they're different. And people like the same. They like traveling with their own people. Whether it's an imagined community like the LARPers online or whether it's, uh, or gamers or, you know, the Gamergate thing or whatever, or whether it's people who look like you or you like a certain kind of f- food or music or a certain type of scene. So we're a very tribal species. And what the left tries to do is it tries to say, look, guys, you got to all be alike. You all got to think a right. certain way. Everything has to be a pizza pie. Harvard has to look like the demographics of the country. And it uh, doesn't at all. It's all Asian. But, no, but, no, it's not. They, they, they keep out a lot of the Asians. It's, oh, it's, right. They, 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 they over, handicap they them. Over, they're over, the Jews are overrepresented there, which is a big no-no PC thing to say. Uh, the Jews have sort of become the new wasps at Harvard. So Charles C. Johnson, the white supremacist, believes that Jews and Asians are genetically smarter. Yeah. And, and that's considered white supremacy. Doesn't white supreme supremacy mean you're at the top? What kind of supremacist puts himself third <laughs> on the list? I mean... <laughs> it looks like Hitler saying, We Germans are third! We have to extinguish everyone else! <laughs> Obviously, uh, Belgium and France are better. <laughs> it's just... The thing that's funny about it is that at a certain point, you got to look around and you're like, all right, Jews are like 0.03% of the population, uh, you know, point of world population, but they're way overrepresented. They're like 11% of world billionaires. You'd be like, hmm, did this just all happen by accident? And if there is some like giant Jewish conspiracy, wouldn't you want to join it rather than like be extinguished? Well, I actually know a guy who was pulled into the Bernie Madoff scheme. Oh, that's right. And yeah, I'm not going to name his yeah. name. Don't name his name. I'm not going to name his name. But he's <laughs> he's very very wealthy and he's anti-Semitic, and he thought what, these Jews seem to be up to something. And it was a what do they call it? An affinity scheme. <laughs> uh-huh. And it was so Jews see other Jews in it, and they go, "All right, I trust you. We're a culture. We're a group." 
and then the Bernie Madoffs take advantage of that loyalty and fuck them. So he sees them colluding, and he goes, "I want in on that." <laughs> Pours money into it, and it sinks. <laughs> but no, but uh, I think I think but, people but, people when they're designing things, right? If you're going to have a basketball team, you want the tallest, fastest dudes, right? And that would be, you know, that would be blacks largely. Or if you wanted to do win a math competition, you get Asians. Now you probably wouldn't get Asians to do your basketball team or your blacks do your math competition because as time goes on, people select certain things to be good at. If you, you see this in families all the time. You see this even in names. Butcher, you know, Butcher is the last name or uh, Baker. Barber. And the reason they have these names is because the whole family did the profession. You'd get better and better over generations. You'd get a comparative advantage and you'd kick ass. And so you the traits that were successful and Jewish intelligence, from what we know from the Nick Wade book with the science columnist in the New York Times, Jewish intelligence came about because way back in the day, to be a good Jew is to be literate. So all the people who are like, oh, fuck this learning thing, it's too hard, they didn't become Jews. And the ones who were really good at reading and writing and arguing, they're the ones who had more kids. And as time goes on, you just kind of repeat the pattern. And we, we've seen selection on that part in, uh, with foxes. I mean, foxes, there's a famous experiment from this Russian geneticist who within three generations took wild foxes and made them tame. Um, so we can do oh, this kind of selection is going on. Well, that's on. the other thing, too, with nature and nurture. You inevitably get to this point where people go, wait a minute. You said, uh, you know, I, Scots are like this because and they love booze because they were attacked. So that's not nature. That's nurture. But the two meld together. And I think the amount of time is not that much. I think it's as little as 100 years. And it could be as uh, it, maybe three generations. You know, you can alter your fate. It just this idea that it happened in an hour is where we're at in America, where, you know, this guy, uh, or you see it on intervention all the time. They showed her boobs to the class, and she's been a junkie ever since. Like, no, they showed her great-grandmother's boobs to the class and kept doing it for generations. That's why she's fucked up. You know, it, right. We, we, we kind of want to believe we have more, like, human agency. We have this ability to right. change things that if only, like, some, some bad shit had ha hadn't happened in our youth, you know, we wouldn't have gone and been so fucked up later on. But the truth of the matter is that most of us are products of families. I mean, we're all products of families in one form or another, um, even even orphans. I mean, this is why the twin studies, I mean, this, this is damning. I always talk. I bore I mean, my wife to tears with these studies. The twin studies is ridiculous. Same dog, same um, profession, similar looking husbands, similar income, no matter how they grew up. I mean, I have friends who are twins, and they send their mother the same fucking Christmas card every year. Not coordinated, not <laughs> anything. And it's like a running joke. If you get fucked by your dad... You're gonna get knocked off course. Yeah. If you grew up, but, but a lot of people grew up in you know, but a lot of people Bavaria and got grew up with dogs. You were a feral child. You're gonna get fucked. No, up. No, but but people even those situations where people who are the victims of sexual abuse, we sort of do this whole abuse excuse thing that oh, daddy diddled me and therefore I have a right to do heroin. No, like don't do heroin. Like there's there's a certain there's stupid shit that you shouldn't do, and a lot of people who are the victims of abuse turn out to be perfectly normal, well-functioning adults. I dated one. To the extent... She was a prostitute. And she... It, her life was hell, as far as sexual abuse goes. But she was a totally normal person. Her sex life was weird. And the thing when we would have sex would be... Uh, it couldn't be gentle or kind, because that reminded her of... the That was a trigger, basically. <laughs> so it had to be totally abusive. Did you have to... If you dated a prostitute, did you have to pay for it, too? Or did you pay in oh, other ways, had, like teddy bears long and chocolates? Quit. Oh, I see. But like, I'd have to hit her in the face with uh, pita bread at this grocery store no and way. stuff. Yeah, that would just she would love that. 
I didn't particularly enjoy it. And it was embarrassing. Humans are strange. <laughs> People, well, no, I don't think that, that's a totally normal. What she had done is compartmentalized sex and then found a new way to be stimulated. Ayan Hirsiali. No, no. Uh, I know of a woman, not Ayan Hirsiali, but I know of a woman who had her clit cut off, just like Ayan did. And a friend of mine dated her. And the way they would fuck is after they were done, she would get on top of him and she would rest her vagina on his coccyx, not his cock, but his tailbone. And she would push up and go boom, 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 and kind of plop her clit, her, her destroyed clitoris down, hammer it onto his tailbone and come that way. Okay. I mean. So we adapt, is, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. But I mean, he, he, this is what we need to start. We, we're, <laughs> okay. We're, we're, we're status signaling monkeys who do things like try and shame each other or harm each other and or to show off, to try and get mates. And we're the product of every one of us started out as you know, sperm meets an egg and became a, a human being for, for better or for worse. And a lot of the left, which is so obsessed with it, if you believe in Darwin, you know, do you believe in evolution? That's, what, that's their whole thing. They always ask. Yeah, the pro-science then, the pro it, it makes No, well, they're really not. They're really mind. not, though, because um, we notice that uh, they believe in evolution only below the neck. Right, this idea that the most expensive organ in your body that uses something like thirty percent of your calories, which is your brain, they believe that oh, when we left Africa, or our ancestors left Africa, there was no difference whatsoever. And anyone who thinks otherwise, even though we can measure cranial capacity, we can measure brain activity, anyone who thinks otherwise is a eugenicist and a racist and a white supremacist. Uh, that's their view. So they're 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 liberal creationists. Yeah, well, they allow that, they for stereotyping. They allow for genetics if it's a positive trait. Yes. So they can, Larry David's on the cover of New York Magazine, and on his head it says the Jewish brain, and they talk about mm -hmm. Jewish IQ. But they could never say anything negative, like the Irish can't hold their whiskey. That's the only place I'm going with that. But here's, here's what I wanted to mention about uh, this whole idea of innate differences and inequality being just a fact of life. The beauty of a libertarian mindset is w we don't care. If you have 100 as an average in math, you're going to Harvard, buddy. And Harvard doesn't have to represent everything. So the, the far left goes, how can you say that? How can you say that everything shouldn't be a perfect pizza pie representation of everything else? And you say, uh, I'm not saying it. I'm just, the thing about my ethos is I'm not enforcing it. I'm just letting everyone go free. You're, you're saying blacks have to be perfectly represented at Harvard and fat white dudes have to be in the NBA, though they never say that. They, they, they absolve themselves of the pizza pie then. The, no, but then they're the owners, right? The fat white dudes. Right, um, yeah. I shouldn't be saying pizza pie, pie chart, whatever. Well, if you think about it, if we're a knowledge-based economy and most of us are getting our incomes from, from uh, IQ, right, which is what, we, what education really is. I mean, you can't really take somebody who's a moron and you know, socialize no, you them the All right you can way. do with education is keep smart people stimulated. Yeah, and what we do with our Common Core and what we do with a lot of our public school is we make it so we teach the, the lower 25% teach to, and our geniuses are basically bored out of their minds. Yeah. So they go and they do deviant things. Um, they go, I mean, there was a study done about high school kids that the higher IQ ones are the ones doing drugs. Uh, Interesting. And it, Maybe and it they're makes, trying to dumb themselves down. Well, it makes sense. They're frustrated with where they are in their lives. And the income tax, which you pay after, year after year, same thing with capital gains tax, is really just a tax on IQ. So they, <laughs> so, they, so they recognize it up to a certain point. I mean, nobody is a moron or a mental retard, you know, below an 85 IQ. 
is paying taxes. It's always the it's always the really smart Jewish bankers or the the waspy lawyer or whatever, and uh, who they all aspire to be. They all aspire their kids to go and do those things, and the, and and so therefore, when you do the the income tax thing, it's really just a re- redistribution of IQ to lower IQ. Well, it's also the bigotry of soft uh, expectations because you're saying you dummies can't obviously can't function in the world. Here's some welfare. And you just sit there and we'll do everything over here because you're retarded. Well, but in the old day, before this obsession with education and everyone needs to go to college, it was, you're not that smart. And that wasn't an insult. Uh, you go do a trade. And those people lived full, happy lives and they weren't on welfare. And Yeah, and the, and the really dumb people, what used to happen is they had these things called the poor laws. So you would go, if you're a rich guy in the neighborhood, you'd go and adopt your homeless dude and you'd make sure he wouldn't starve to death. And that was... That was the deal. Like that was if you're a wealthy dude and you see that in Latin America, you see that in like a lot of third world countries, the kind of patron where you've got or the serfs that are living on the land who are morons and they're taken care of by the, you know, by the jefe, by the commander, by the strong man. And this is a natural part of human society. We do it now in charity. We don't call it this, but that's really what it is. And well, we had it more when, when tribalism was encouraged and not discouraged when you had the church. I mean, a priest now, he just really works on a Sunday, but he used to work seven days a week solving problems with marriages and dealing with this crisis and this family crisis. And Yeah, and we used to be, when we were less kind of a multiracial republic or whatever we are now, postmodern thing, when we were more of a monoculture, we used to take care of our dummies. I mean, every family has at least one or two morons. And well, everyone, look at abortion. We've eradicated Down syndrome. Well, to a certain extent. It was interesting to me. Uh, when I was a paperboy, I had a 250 houses when I was a paperboy. Actually, no, 223, actually. I had 250, then I got lazy and sold the other part off. And I had this this guy, Jimmy, who had Down syndrome in my neighborhood. And I paid I paid him you know, for, to help me do the paper route. He was a total kind of moron. He, he wasn't very smart. I mean, he was just not good at stuff normally, but he could he could move the wagon. And so I would go and you know have him move the wagon while I went and moved it and threw the newspapers. And nowadays we you know exterminate those people. I think the Down syndrome abortion rate is like ninety percent. Now I got to say though that um, I, I posted an article a while ago that was really controversial from Wired about how they're using in China they're doing um, genetic testing, basically in vitro studies on how to boost IQ. So well, the idea was that, you know you and your wife would get together put the eggs in the petri dish, you'd be able to select among the eggs, the fertilized eggs, which of the ones had the higher IQ, and then you would implant it back into. Wow. Um, and this is like super controversial, but I'm kind of with James Watson on this. He says, uh, he said, everyone thinks that the future where we control our own genetics is terrible and awful. And he's like, why would it be so awful? We'd have all these smart people and hot women. Like what would be so bad about that? Yeah, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, I don't really pass judgment, and the beauty of anarchy in a free society is you don't say that these this version has to be enforced. So we all practice genetics. I mean, even when women go to the sperm bank, they're yeah. not they don't want a homeless man. They they go they hate genetics until it's time to go through the sperm, and then they're like, yeah, I want to be a Harvard professor. I want to be strong. I want to see his shoulders. I right, William be- Shockley, the guy who was the father of Silicon Valley, he proudly bragged about donating his sperm to a uh, to a sperm bank and there was like a Nobel Prize. There's a sperm bank for Nobel Prize winners and he was a big proponent of it. He thought it was fantastic. Um, and he, he of course you know, invented some of the technology, the um, 
the transistor that ultimately led to uh, to uh, Silicon Valley kind of booming. And he had a lot of kind of controversial ideas too, where he said, where he would go and have a voluntary eugenics society, where you would go and you would pay women who are morons to to um, uh, you'd pay them like ten thousand bucks not to have kids, and you you know you would. Um, that's the word for it, sterilize them. So that's the other end um, of the spectrum. That's just as bad as the liberals enforcing equality is this guy financially um, no, enforcing but, but it's interesting. Inequality. I don't think he actually did it, but I do remember there was like a, I remember reading an article or a book somewhere along the way where a lot of the women who had like four or five kids, they couldn't figure out like why they kept getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so some of them were actually kind of grateful for some of this stuff because if you can imagine... I mean, it's terrible to say this, but it's it's very like non PC. But we do practice a form of you know a form of eugenics all the time uh, when when we choose who our you know, who our children should date. When we uh, when yeah, we, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you're it's entirely right. And what's interesting, by the way, is that in in a lot of Europe, gingers because women don't want to have ginger babies, they're not included in sperm banks, even though even though <laughs> even though gingerism is linked with higher IQ. Um, so people are making trade-offs uh, that that um, that they're kind of having to accept. Someone told me recently that there's no such thing as a black sperm bank. I don't know. It's an interesting question. I mean, it's it's a fucking contentious well, subject, and we 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 did it too with Puerto Ricans in the '50s. We would all but encourage them to uh, take this permanent infertility drug that would make them barren. And it wasn't shoved down their throats, but it was very, um, it was coercion, right? And Puerto Ricans found out about this, obviously, and they now have this resentment for America and New York. So just as bad as the, the far left meddling, this was a form of like eugenic meddling, and it was far right meddling. And that created animosity, just like Wounded Knee all over again. Every time you fucking meddle, and every time you try to alter the future, and every time you restrict people's liberty, you make things worse off. I think it's all about a question of voluntary and right. consensual. So if you're, I mean, to a certain extent, what we do right now is we have a welfare state that rewards people for having children. And you have all these people in the ghetto who have really terrible lives, and they get pregnant because they have a baby, and the baby loves them and looks See up to them. See it in Glasgow, Scotland, like, all the time. Yeah, people like having having something in their life that likes them, and there's nothing. Women like having babies. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's actually like what makes the whole world go round. And what ends up happening though is the state comes in and it's like, all right, here's some cash for you for your baby. So there are examples after examples after examples of women in a welfare state who are on the lower end of the IQ spectrum who are encouraged by their family or by others to go have another kid so they can get more money from the state. And this happens. This is a eugenics policy, right? Um, it's like the idiocracy movie, but like it's actually happening. And what you end up having is you have our, you know, the higher end IQ women uh, who are going and marrying people, but they're having like one, two, three kids. And it makes sense because the welfare state eats its seed corn. Like if you have, think about, just think about this, right? So a lot of really smart millennials right now basically can't afford having children, can't afford housing in a lot of places. Uh, when they were, when their parents were growing up, they got to go hang out and do drugs and go to the Grateful Dead concerts. Yeah, but they had the same amount of money. No, the, it was a different. Baby boomers were broke. 
No, but they not exactly. I mean, they didn't have the, all the generational. Tra- like if you're a high, if you're a hardworking millennial now, there are all these states that have higher income taxes. Connecticut didn't even have an income tax when my parents, you know, my parents lived there back in the day. Right. I mean, this but when is, you hear p- stories of boomers in the '70s, it was we jumped a train and then we went to Greece and then we. But they could afford to do all that shit because they, um, because, first of all, life was a lot cheaper. It was an in- deflationary environment. They could also. They were also building houses. Their parents were building houses everywhere. Well, so. there was a lot less laws too. You could just go camp in a farmer's field. Yeah, you now could, you have to go to an allocated area. You could do whatever the fuck you wanted. It was a great time. You could do drugs. You could tune out, drop out. College was cheap. Um, you know, and everyone's like, "Oh, you have iPhones now, you youngins." You know, I mean, a friend of mine who's my actually my lawyer went to Stanford Law, and when he got out, he had fifteen job offers. The people they literally lined up. To give him the job offer. Yeah, that was um, my dad too. And when another friend of mine, who's who's a year older than me, graduated from Stanford, fourth in his class, he had like one firm that was like kind of the shitty firm that took him, and they're paying that he's working more hours. Just as a demonstrable fact, he's working more hours and getting paid less, and probably going to make partner later. He's probably making f- what forty k a year. Well, I think I, I, might end, I didn't end up asking him exactly how much he was making, but I knew enough about like the time schedules. And what happens now is that you do all these billable hours when you're young. It's harder to make partner. So all these people, I mean, Social Security was set up to take care of granny in extraordinary circumstances when granny lived to be 64 and the turn-on rate was 65. Right. Now you've got all these rich people, rich boomers and rich others who are like, this is my money, even though they're getting like 30 to 40% more. So it's just bullshit. Like all this generational... Nonsense. And what ends up happening is people who want to have kids. Uh, I mean, back in the day, right, you'd work nine to five. There was no cell phone. You wouldn't get a call from a client or any of this shit. And you would be, uh, it was totally fine. Like you could go right away. You could work, um, you know, nine to five. You could have a private life. You could have dinner, whatever. Um, and that was the culture. Like that was okay with it. Now people are working all the time. They're never away from their cell phones. Mm-hmm. And that makes it so that even if you're not on birth control, and both couples are working just to afford rent because, by the way, they're not building any more new houses, right? All the new houses, uh, everyone's kind of grandfathered in in New York. You can't build a new skyscraper. You can't build anything well, new. Well, the way real estate's going now is, and this is especially true in Williamsburg, is the parents are paying the rent. Or if there's homes being bought, it's the parents buying the homes for their kids. Yeah, or foreigners like in L.A. and, and, and here are coming in and they're seeing like, hmm, China might go to shit. Let's go and buy up all these houses just in case. And so that increases the rent, that forces up the money. And so I think this kind of like generational screwing that's gone on of the young people. And I see this in media all the time. I mean, there's a glass ceiling for the conservative columnists, the young conservative columnists at Fox. Well, not women. Um, not No, even with women. I mean, Michelle Fields, there's a limit to how far she can rise. What? Um, yeah, I mean, they don't- Megyn Kelly is- Megyn Kelly's in her 40s, right? I mean, you're looking at oh. people who are- Yeah, but that's just the experience. That's the amount of time you put in. Maybe you're right. Look at her fucking um, Megyn Kelly's resume is insane. True. I mean, I'll give you that. Um, but I do think there's a certain level of like, when, when Napoleon was my age, when he was 26, he conquered Italy, right? That was pretty badass. There was a certain time in my pretty life. Pretty unique guy, though. No, I mean, fair enough. But my, you know, my grandfather got his first command when he was 27 in the Navy. That's unheard of now. I mean, we have more admirals than we have ships. I mean, there's like a lot of this, like the cost of life has gotten much more difficult. But I think it's psychosomatic. It's, it's it's all in your, it's all in our heads. It's all in your young people's heads. <laughs> it's sort of like women. They go, I have to work. I don't. I never understood that. Why do you have to work if you're married 
And he has a home. I had an apartment when I, you know, when I was 30. It had a bed in it, a kitchen. A woman could have lived there. The only thing that would be different if a woman lived there was we'd have, I'd have to buy a few more groceries. Yeah, but, you know, rents go up because people have expectations that both couples exactly. will work. Exactly. Now my um, bare minimum involves a car each. It involves holidays. It involves all this stuff that you don't even fucking enjoy that much. No, I, I definitely agree with you. And we saw that in like the 70s with the, the real reason women started entering the labor force is because the inflation was insane. So the men's take-home pay was shit. And so they're like, oh, we should have two jobs because we can, you know, have double the pay and therefore have like what we had previously. And then that just sort of happened naturally. But yeah, it would be great if we could create an environment. This is why I moved to uh, to a part of ca- uh, California, one of the cities that's known for having families. Everything's super cheap. I bought a house for like, few, you know, a few hundred thousand bucks, five bedroom house. It's awesome. Um, and with the internet now, you can do that. So there's a lot of places like Utah where people are moving out. Um, but... There is a certain sense, like when you come to New York or you come to LA, just how old a lot of the places are because they're the only people who can afford to live there because they're not building new homes. They're not building all these. So my, my parents' generation, they got to have summer jobs. Can't do that now because we've imported all these illegals. Uh, so therefore, right. you don't get a start on the ladder. The inflationary environment of the 70s just effectively destroyed the minimum wage. So you could do interns or basically, you, you know, I'll take a chance on your kid kind of work. Mm-hmm. Now you can't really do that because people are so litigious. But and also millennials have been given such a, a overblown sense of self-worth that they see it as, as free labor. In the well, we were told, we were told, as I was told, hey, go get all this education, you know, be top of your class and all this shit, which I went and did. Um, and then I came out and all these people who were also top of our class from all around the world were all competing for the same jobs. And Yeah, you know, the the libertarian argument about student debt used to be, Look, you signed a contract, you knew how much the tuition was, you knew you were going into debt, and now you owe that money. You shouldn't, it's like joining a gym, you shouldn't have signed up, you can't afford it. But in their defense, I would say, this product they were buying, a college degree. Well, were they really buying it too? That's the other thing, is their parents buying it? I mean, who was- Right, but well, let me yeah. finish. This college degree they were buying, there was an understanding of its efficacy. Efficacy? Efficacy. Yeah, efficacy. There was an understanding that that thing produces money. And there then was they a deal. get it, and it doesn't do shit. And, and, and it's, it's the actual thing's fault. Like, we learned um, hegemony and uh, intersectionality and how racist and... Sec- it was all lies. So your whole degree is a piece of shit. It's not just that there aren't any jobs. It's that you've been given useless skills that are wrong. And it's like buying a car where reverse is, is drive. You wouldn't... You'd sue the car manufacturer. Right, and, and there's a certain level of the taboo, too, where... All of our parents, my, my, my parents were told you know, as boomers that if you get a good, you know, the way to get a good job is go to college. So they just replicated that with their kids. And so people would go, particularly among the higher achieving families, yes. they'd give them the Harvard things. I mean, I, I remember fr- friends of mine whose parents were in tears when they didn't get into Harvard. I mean, seriously, like, I, I, I kind of laughed about it. I mean, I was pissed. Like, I definitely. Well, it did define your life back then. It did, and and to a certain extent, this was all pre internet. Now all it means is you're probably going to get a job at The Simpsons. Yeah, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, uh, although you probably still can't afford rent, um, right? But I think uh, I think that kind of thing, the internet is changing all this, and so a lot of people are trying to think the taboos are becoming okay to think. Like, hmm, maybe I don't need to go to college. Um, the guy, the guy, one of the richest guys I know in California. If you if you if you've eaten a peach, you've probably eaten it from his farm or from his giant not plantation. That's a bad word, but <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Right. Um, from his whole hacienda, um, 
which I think is Spanish for plantation. Anyways, um, he uh, he dropped out of high school. The real trick is, do you have skills? Do you have things that people want to buy? And what we're told in our society now is you've got to be like everybody else. You've got to think certain thoughts, right. behave and, certain and ways. Right, and Roger Ailes says, if you are you, you're unstoppable. And this leftist collectivism where everyone has to go to Harvard and get a degree is, is, is Orwellian. If you're dumb, there's nothing wrong with that. Go be a dumb welder. I'd way rather hang out with you than the fucking... Harvard intellectual. I remember reading this book that was really on PC, like back in, it was written maybe back in the 50s. And it was like advice for dumb people. And which first of all, was kind of hilarious to me because like what dumb person is going to like read this? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, know your audience kind of thing. But it would, it would give advice for like dumb women to go to places where there are rich men and basically <laughs> just hang out and wait for one of them to find them. Yeah. Um, so there used to be a certain view that like people would know their place in the dating market or the arranged market. So like when I was in, in high school, I was a nerd. Like I knew that certain pool of women were unavailable to me and that was just the nature of life. I was a poor nerd. And so then I started joining like chess club and all this stuff and there are all these Asian chicks and Jewish chicks. So I just played the averages, you know, the 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 taller, <laughs> the taller white dude um, who could rebel. I mean, you know, the Asian girls could rebel by dating the white guy, and if they rebelled with the black guy, their their Asian grandmother would have a heart attack. So I was a certain like safe choice. Yeah, I think all men do. I did that too. I mean, I, I've never been attracted to blondes with big tits, and I thought it's because my mom was a blonde with big tits. But now I'm thinking, no, it's because they found me repulsive. So I learned to adapt. Yeah, and you, this is the thing. People don't spend enough time. I mean, what was it Socrates said about know thyself? Mm -hmm. People don't spend enough time doing introspection because they're, um, they're not really allowed to. They're not really encouraged to. They're encouraged to do one tournament after another. And the tournaments, just like when you're a kid, and I, I, you know, there, there used to be a time when you, the trophy actually meant something, then everybody gets a trophy. Well, the college degree is now the functional equivalent of that. Everyone gets a participation trophy. Yeah. And the reason the colleges do it is really simple. Fuck do they care if people learn anything yeah, if they're, if they're showing customers. out 40,000 bucks. Right. Um, and in fact, it's almost more useful if you get a shitty degree because then you go on to the grad school. You know where you're, where you get your specialized thing, but that ends up delaying having kids. When you get out of college, you feel like, oh fuck, I gotta actually make money now to pay off all my loans. Well, so you that, delay taking risks, and young people love taking risks, or they they don't even they take risks like I do. Like I didn't even realize. Like I was like, yeah, sure, why not create a media company? I mean, like, what's the worst that can happen, <laughs> right? Yeah. You don't realize this if you're like helplessly in debt. So you get what ends up happening is you get out of college. Get out, then you get out of grad school. You're like 28, 29, 30. Then you're like, oh, fuck. Like now I got to get a job to pay all well, these also, things. Also, don't forget that feminism has brainwashed women into thinking that 40-year-old ovaries are the same as 30-year-old ovaries. Yeah. And to a certain... Like, I mean, in this day and age, boring medical facts that a doctor would tell you about your reproductive system are sexist. Yeah. It's like, um, <laughs> it's like people who argue against gravity. I mean, I always, yeah. I always feel <laughs> like... I, you know, that, that some of this stuff, it's like being the Galileos of our time. But it's really like just an obvious thing, like, hmm, old people, how many kids do they have? How many people do you see like running around? And they're like, but then we could become really rich and then we could do like in vitro or something. Yeah, that's, that Barbara and then it's Corcoran like, spent half a million dollars almost on. What a stupid, I mean, I hope those kids were worth it. I mean, imagine spending like hundred million and be like, that I must mean, happen when you move to an area with a good school that you hate, and then your kids do shitty in school and, and you know, skip class. You go, I moved to fucking Cobble Hill for this shit. Yeah, I mean, think about that $500,000 kid. 
Imagine being like a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure, just like being born. It's <laughs> so like that wasn't a five hundred thousand dollars shit in your diaper, you know? Like, well, it's a it's a, a topic for another show, but just like the Fed or the eighteen trillion dollar debt sort of wipes out all other discussions of economics. The fact that we're not having kids anymore wipes out all these future plans of education well, and everyone. I mean, what happens is there are all these cons going on, and we've like we've created a culture of con men. You know, yeah, we've created and, like, and simply stating simple facts, they're called hate facts now. Well, I mean, look at like if you if you look at the Brian Williams scandal, the Rolling Stone thing. These were people who ascended to the top of their profession basically by being cons or like um, right because of that enforcing this equality thing. Yeah, and I mean, even like in the old the old Vice, uh, you've got people like Shane Smith who are con men. I mean, he made up whole big parts of his life, but. And now everyone trusts him when he says his company's worth a billion bucks. But this is a guy who lied about being a, um, I mean, he just straight up lied about being a foreign correspondent in, uh, in Bosnia. I mean, this is the culture that we're in. We're in a culture that rewards lying and deceit. And what ends up happening is everyone says, oh, I've got to go to Harvard or I've got to go get this job. And so they fudge their resumes a little and a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And some the pathological liars like the Shane Smiths, the Brian Williams, uh, the... Sabrina Rubin Erdlies of the world, they um, they keep fibbing and fibbing and fibbing. And even when they're caught, like, I mean, Brian Williams isn't going to give back his 50 million bucks. I mean, uh, even, you know, Shane Smith's not going to uneat those ridiculously overpriced dinners. <laughs> um, uh, but I know you're, you're probably not allowed to talk about that. So, uh, uh, but I do think the con culture that we're entering, when you've got more frauds going on and they're rewarded by the media by attention, there's really, I mean, look, the, one of the greatest frauds of our time is Barack Obama. I mean, go and, go and read the opening bit of Dreams from My Father where he says, he says that he sees a dog outside his window. And, uh, well, he's in, uh, I think he's in like the Upper West Side or he's somewhere in New York. He sees a dog outside his window in New York and there's a junkyard and the dog is playing with, uh, has a beer bottle in its mouth. First of all, what dog have you ever seen with a beer bottle Never. in its mouth? They don't like the sensation. Second of all, the junkyard... Seriously, on the Upper West Side, like <laughs> that. I mean, the garbage there. That that plot alone is worth. Maybe some... his neighbor was p- putting an extension on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, but that kind of, um, and that's the yeah, that's the supposed leader of the free world. But we see this all the time. I mean, people have a huge incentive in our tournament culture to go and lie about and to fib. And I've seen this with science friends of mine who are PhD students or who are PhDs. And they're like, yeah, I was like, what percentage of neuroscience stuff. A good friend of mine is a neuroscientist down in, in, uh, in Texas. And what percentage of neuroscience stuff uh, is just manufactured, like bullshit data? And he's like, maybe 30, 40%. <laughs> so it's like that stuff's going on. You've got the subprime mortgage thing. You've got all this kind of fraud that goes on. And just like we learn in Stats 101, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I, that's what I think of when I think of you what a real journalist is. And people, young people don't understand that. Like Brian Williams wanted to be Jon Stewart. Jon Stewart thinks he's a real journalist. All these people, they, it's now fame. Like they all want to go to the correspondence dinner, right? That's the least journalism thingy I've ever heard of in the my only, fucking life. The only fun there would be to like wiretap the place yeah. and like hear what people, the shit well, people I talk in the bathroom. a nightmare, knocking over tables, getting wasted. But, but, but the... It's seen as a glamorous job, 
and people want to be part of it because you get to schmooze. It's almost like politicians will spend money on stupid art projects like sculptures that suck because they want to fraternize with the artist. And What's the status? Their, it's, it's the status signaling monkeys that we are. But true journalism is the guy who sits down and has no friends and burns bridges and and makes people uncomfortable. That's what you have to do when you sign up for it. But what makes it interesting, and I've certainly done that, I've certainly pissed off a lot of people, I've, but I've also gotten a lot of powerful friends. Yeah, I'm 26 years old, I've met billionaires. Yeah, sorry, I, when I, I say know. no friends, I don't mean you're a loser that no one likes. I <laughs> no, mean, but you, you have no allegiances. You like, should, you, like, it used to be that we rewarded people who gave the finger to power. Now we make sure that we cut off their finger if they do it. We, right. we castrate them. We well, make you fun also of them. are one of the few, and James O'Keefe does this to a lesser extent, I think, but you will attack the right. Yeah, because a lot of the right is frauds. I mean, the human condition, there's bullshit everywhere. Tell us about some, briefly, we're, we're 11 minutes over. But oh, okay. Well, didn't you, who did you just fry that was. Uh, I got in trouble. I got people got pissed off for me going after Alan West. I love as Alan a, West. As that a, broke my heart as a sexual predator, which he is. Um, and I quoted a lot of women and other people who knew about it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't go and decide to be represented by a sexual predator. I mean, decide for yourself. Maybe you like his politics. Maybe what I expose I love was his politics. Yeah, maybe what I expose isn't isn't big enough for you. But I'm tired of these things that everyone in power knows uh, that. The the hoi polloi the you know the everyday people aren't supposed to know, and that pisses me off because we're supposed to be a republic grounded on public opinion, and if public opinion is grounded on bullshit, then we're going to get a bullshit government, we're going to get bullshit society, and I just for the longest time I exposed things just out of just because I was curious, like hmm, seems odd to me that every town is saying that there are seventy four school shootings since Sandy Hook. I was alive for that. I don't seem to remember this. And then, oh, I remember that. And then yeah. I was sitting at Starbucks waiting for my wife to show up. And I was just sitting there like, hmm, I'm going to Google all of these. And as I'm Googling, I'm like, oh, this wasn't a school shooting. This was a drug dealer killing another drug dealer right. in a parking lot. Right, who was lot. like 18. Yeah, who was like 18 at 3 in the morning in the summertime. Like, <laughs> this is not... <laughs> Sometimes they didn't even go to that school. Sometimes they didn't go to it. school shooting. Sometimes they shot... There was a shooting down the block and there was reported... I mean, it was such nonsense. And that was a multi-million dollar campaign by the Bloomberg people, which I defeated for $7.56 uh, drinking uh, overpriced uh, green tea and fucking bananas that are like two bucks at Starbucks. No, I think they're like a buck 90 uh, in LA. I mean, it's ridiculous, but that's a whole other that's a little, so, subject. So there's two modes of thought here. One is that everyone is equal and should should almost be bullied into the same opportunities as everyone else. I mean, affirmative action sort of wrenches people into schools and punishes Asians who are doing too well. There's, so there's this worldview where they enforce equality. Then there's the other worldview that says, uh, your utopia sounds nice, but on the off chance it's not accurate, I'm having no rules. And the thing I like about this, the libertarian point of view, is it's neither racist nor non-racist. It is true egalitarianism because it's saying, go bananas. Yeah, let your freak flag fly. Yeah. I mean, we used to be a culture that tolerated weird people who did interesting things. Right. And now the only place for them to go is Silicon Valley you know, where, or, or Hollywood to a lesser extent. But everyone wants to be famous. No, Hollywood is a monoculture mono mentally. You can't, as Jim Norton says, you're either 100% with them or you're 100% against them. Yeah, and, and there's something like that kind of policing is gross. People don't like it. And so what I've discovered is the new technology makes distribution of information easier than ever. Uh, yeah, on my Twitter page, at Chuck C. Johnson, I track all these... I mean, I attract white supremacists, I attract Israel fa fans, I attract black people. I mean, I have a whole gamut of people who are a little different 
than everybody else. And I like having these people and helping me blow up bullshit false narratives that are being promulgated by the media. Because I think once we break the cartel of the media and the coolness, and we show how uncool being a conformist is, we're going to save a lot of lives. Well, we're it's make happening the world with ISIS. It's happening with, with Islam. They have pushed this, this racial um, scale where the whiter you are, the shittier you are. And they've pushed it with such vehemence that now a culture that throws gays off buildings, stones women to death for getting gang raped, is the cool culture because they're less white than Pamela Geller. And I love that because they've painted themselves into a corner where they have to justify honor killings, pedophile rings in, in Rotherham. Uh, but it's not, about, it's not about thinking. If you can think, you're probably not with them anyways. Right, but it's now about, they have to, like they said, uh, what do we want, dead cops? We don't want them now. You have to hold that in front of them and say, you said this and you got dead cops, but you're saying a cartoon is incendiary. There, you go work with that. And they, they're, they're facing their hypocrisies with Islam. I agree. I agree. But the cognitive dissonance that you can force on people, that's what you should, that's what real journalists should be doing is they should always be. And that's what scientists should be doing. That's what public intellectuals should be doing. It's forcing people to reconsider. Science, their... Scientists do do that, incidentally. Scientists and, and every real scientists, day yeah. throw out their research and go, fuck, yeah. that whole thing was a waste of time. Now I got to start again. And more people should be like that with, with their political views. You, you hit a dead end. It means that theory was wrong. Yeah, you know, I always say if somebody who doesn't tell you that they were wrong on something is probably at one point in their life is, is a liar. And people who kind of create these churches to themselves, like Brian Williams, like Shane Smith, uh, like I'm Barack Obama. i on that guy. Um, these people are frauds, and they should be called out. And we should have the emperor has no clothes. We should all be thinking that all the time because— the real quality, the real fun of life is to really expose the truth. Well, the, the Achilles heel to all that is it's inspiring and it's fun, but studies show that when people are confronted with data that contradicts their beliefs, they become more steadfast in those beliefs. So our entire life's work... <laughs> well, I don't know not. that that's true, because you can always... Oh, it I, is true. You can, no, but I mean, you can identify hidden truths in the world and make a shitload of money, and then you can start to sh shape what the new taboos are. Oh, I see, yes. Um, but that, it takes a long time. Charles, thank you for coming. Thank you for being so um, globally irritating with your news stories and being so um, relentless. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Hope to help you to come back. Yeah, we'll definitely be having you back. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen <clears throat> Charles C. Johnson. I'm going to start clapping at the end from now on. You should. Or you should do like a... Or maybe more of like a...